everybody. I am Zach Johnson, and I farm in West Central Minnesota. And I'm Mitchell Hora. I'm a farmer from Iowa, and this is your favorite podcast, Fieldwork. You'd love it so much because it's a podcast from farmers, for farmers. In front of farmers. Six feet away. <laughs> in front of farmers. Six feet. This show is all about what's working and what's not working in sustainable agriculture. Special thanks to the Walton Family Foundation for supporting us this season. That's a big deal. It is. So thank you to them. This is the next part of our mini-series on the big conservation culture down in Washington County, Iowa, where Mitchell is from. Be sure to go back and check out our earlier episodes if you haven't already. We've covered a lot of ground. We talked to a lot of folks who helped to build that culture back in the day and now to some of the younger farmers that are kind of taking up the reins. So today we want to really zoom out and talk about, you know, what actually makes a culture. Zach, you know my favorite culture? Agriculture. <laughs> Ooh. That's a good one. I thought I came up with that one myself. <laughs> but no, a culture does all really boil down to the people. And what makes a person? I would say your personality. Personality. We've got great personality, Zach. We're going to find Perhaps out, though, I guess. we got to let the science prove it. We're all about science here on the podcast. So what's the we connection are. between personality and a conservation culture? That's the question. The cult of personality. <laughs> That's that's all stuck in my head now. Oh, man. Okay. This question came up when we reached out to Kevin Kimley at Iowa State for help thinking about why Washington County is so special. He actually runs the Ag Entrepreneurship Program, and he thinks a lot about the personalities of students in his classes. In his classes at Iowa State, Kevin asks all of his Ag students to take a personality test. He's been doing it for years, and what he finds is that when compared to the average person, a lot of the farmer students actually score really low on openness. Which doesn't necessarily surprise me a lot. I don't know, Mitchell, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, a lot of farmers kind of keep to themselves for the most part. They're out on their farm, kind of doing their own deal. Yeah, they're social and want to hang out with other farmers, but sometimes they can be kind of closed off on some of the real ins and outs and the specifics. It's kind of like, you know, when you're talking about, you don't talk about money, you know, don't talk about money kind of mums the word type stuff. So they can be kind of closed off when it comes to some of the aspects about running the business. I kind of think a lot of that comes from how risky things can be if you decide to step out of that box. When you know something works, it's not easy to step outside the box and and find out for yourself whether it does or doesn't. There's risk in that. Well, and that's what we wanted to find out. Why is Washington County so different? Like, is the personality of some of the farmers here part of what makes Washington County, Washington County, especially that, you know, maybe they are more open. Yeah. So before we actually asked any of these Washington County farmers to take the test, we decided to do it for ourselves. So we took the test and it got weird. I got an A plus. I'm pretty sure. Can you get an A plus on a personality test? Yeah, you can. (laughs) It, It says a lot about your personality. Here's our conversation with Professor Kimley. Check it out here. Kevin, we'll let you uh, give an intro here, but but Zach and I, in preparation for this interview, because now it's it's season three, we're turning over a new leaf, we're preparing a lot more, and we did a personality test, and uh, and we're gonna dig into that, and we're gonna learn a little bit about a little bit more about us. According to my results, they're gonna be very disappointed. Even I found out a little bit about who the real Zach is. So, Kevin, tell us who the real Kevin is. And uh, t- tell us what you do um, up at Iowa State. 
Well, the real Kevin Kimley, uh, yeah, we get multiple titles at universities. So uh, one of my titles is Rastetter Chair of Agricultural Entrepreneurship. Uh, another title is Director of the Agricultural Entrepreneurship Program uh, Initiative, a program that's been around for longer than I've been there. I've been at Iowa State now for about 11 and one half years. Um, the Agricultural Entrepreneurship Initiative, a couple of years longer than that. And then my faculty position is that I'm a teaching professor in the Department of Economics. I teach courses. We run um, experiential programs. So Mitchell, I don't believe, is one example ever sat in any of my courses, but he still got some of my time at least, maybe more than he cared to have, and that he was in our student incubator program for students that are working on starting something, um, kind of our, our weekly therapy session, if you will, um, for aspiring entrepreneurs. For those students who don't quite know what they want to do, we place them sometimes with startup businesses as interns to get great experience working alongside entrepreneurs. And, you know, occasionally we partner with, you know, more established businesses to help them engage student talent, to help them with an innovation project of some sort. So, you know, we're kind of an all the, all the above program, but we're all about, you know, helping aspiring student entrepreneurs, kind of planting seeds for innovation and change, and working actively with and now investing in startup businesses. So I was like the worst entrepreneurial student ever because I never took the classes. And I was just like, Kevin, you have to help me. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. So but what would have happened if if somebody would have went in there and said, Kevin, I got this great idea. I'm going to start a YouTube channel about farming, what would you tell them? <laughs> First thing I would probably say is, I don't know much about that because I don't watch very much YouTube. <laughs> you don't you even know? watch the millennial farmer? <laughs> YouTubers yeah. only get paid in rands. Yeah, I would say try to get paid in dollars. Well, I'm just trying to figure out how many rands that is. It must be like 27 trillion rands, right? <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of rants. Yeah. Obviously, I never took the entrepreneurial classes at uh, Iowa State either. But yeah, sounds like Mitchell was kind of doing his own thing like he likes to do. And then he comes in and when things hit the fan, he needs your help. Yeah. So, Kevin, one of the things that you have your students do is take this personality test. And let's kind of dig into that a little bit. Well, I've got it pulled up here. Understandmyself.com. Zach and I took the personality test. And we're setting up new Tinder accounts. Um, I guess it's, it's farmersonly.com, I guess, is what we have to go to, huh, Zach? Yeah, this conversation did end up going on for a while last night between Mitchell, myself, and Annie. And uh, I don't think um, nobody's going to swipe right on our profile if we give them the results of the personality test. Zach, can I read what your profile uh, information would say? Is this the one I sent last night? Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, you go ahead and it's it's quite okay, honest so, if you ask my wife. So imagine this. <laughs> the new, you know, agricultural dating app based on the test that you just took in, in Kevin's class. And you come across this guy, says occupation is farmer, YouTube, YouTube guy. He's very good looking. And uh, the picture, you're like, wow, this guy's amazing. Like all these followers and like he even has a, a podcast too. Like that's cool. Fresh haircut. And, and you, you're like, you have fresh haircut. You're like, okay, let me read about this guy. And in his profile says, even though I'm almost completely free of kindness or compassion, 
Rest easy knowing that I'm also uncomfortable trying new things and I need take enormous pride in working myself to death and judging you because you refuse to hold yourself to the same standards. <laughs> Hashtag that is Zach's profile. Yeah. And uh, so is that like kindness and compassion and being willing to hold yourself to a standard and be willing to try new things that ties in maybe now in our, in our dating world, which I suppose we're not, can't call it dating world since we're both married, but there is no dating world with that, with, with the paragraph you just read. So how does that tie into entrepreneurship and, and Kevin, I guess, get us back on track here with, this survey that you have your students do, why do you have the students do the survey and, uh, and how does it tie to entrepreneurship and then also into sustainability? And is there any hope for me in life? Oh, absolutely. We'll, we'll come around to that, Zach. Don't worry. (laughs) So, um, as part of the entrepreneurship and agriculture class that I teach, you know, we first part of the semester to dive into some very basic concepts around entrepreneurship and then what are other entrepreneurs working on, but also take a little bit of time in what I call entrepreneurial skills and behaviors. It's like when we look to others who are entrepreneurial, you know, people like Mitchell and, and Zach, what sort of traits do they have that lend themselves towards being entrepreneurial and innovative? And then what for those do you do you have? And so I went actually through a variety of different sort of things trying to help the students get to know themselves a little bit better and have arrived at this. So yeah, the tool I use is understandmyself.com, which is one of the testing services, but the personality test is actually called the big five personality test. And, you know, for you and your audience do understand, I've actually never taken a psychology class ever. <laughs> so <laughs> it's funny for me to speak about these things, but I have read a good bit and and, and have arrived at this because it's the most in my uh, kind of experience sort of worked out of these personality tests and and there's a whole bunch of them right strengths finder the old myers briggs type personality test that i took back in college and i think dates still about the 1930s or something anyway this has you know big five personality traits so extroversion neuroticism agreeableness conscientiousness and openness to experience and these traits both you know in a country like the united states but really around the world all these traits are normally distributed. So in other words, you know, if you on any of those traits came out at the 50th percentile, you know, you're kind of sitting with the bulk of humanity, essentially. And so there's not a right or a wrong place to be. Now, there may be some things to think about from a personality match perspective, which certainly from a dating or marriage perspective matters. And, you know, does it mean that some of those traits may mean that you're you're not marriageable. I guess both of you, of you guys have succeeded there. And the, and the answer is no, but it probably means that if you're well-matched, you want to be pretty, you know, in the general ballpark on each of those traits with your mate, you know, other than maybe neuroticism and that that one, it might be good to have people at a different end of the spectrum just from a, you know, sort of managing emotion perspective during, let's say, a pandemic, you know, who's going to be really concerned, who's not, and how do we balance that out? And so anyway, um, you know, the first thing I always tell students when you read this, just like with any personality test, is that, you know, human beings are the most complex thing in the universe. <laughs> and, and so breaking a person into five different parts, uh, it's, it's a gross simplification you know, even for you guys, it's just, it's oversimplifying to break you into five basic components, but it's still helpful as you think about, 
you know, kind of where do I fall in that? And then in particular, from an entrepreneurial perspective, what sort of personalities would be complementary to mine as I think about building a team? And so it's become, a, you know, I think a good exercise just in the process for where a lot of students are at Iowa State and every place else at that stage of your life of trying to understand yourself a little bit better and how you how you kind of want to interact with other people and how you fit in the world. And, and then some of these traits, too, are more associated with entrepreneurship. And there's a pretty good academic literature on this. So the the traits that are most associated with um, entrepreneurship first is extroversion. So the more extroverted a person is, the more likely they are to be an entrepreneur. Now, it's not a causation kind of a thing. It's more of a correlation. (laughs) Uh, And it's not a high correlation, but still, I think that kind of makes sense, at least to me. The more extroverted a person is, the more likely they are to start a business. So Kevin, I was a, I was at the 98th percentile for extrovert. I am shocked. <laughs> I am shocked. We are all very shocked at that, Mitchell. Also, enthusiasm, 96th percentile. <laughs> and assertiveness, 96. Zach, my guess, you probably fell somewhere in the upper end of extroversion as well. Uh, yes, I was in the 80th percentile. So that was one of the ones that it seems like most of my... Um, you know, however many different things there are here, most of them were either extreme low or extreme high. So 80 is actually not as extreme high as a lot of the ones in here. Okay, interesting. So anyway, extroversion is it. And I, myself, so I'm Mitchell, maybe a little bit below you, but I'm like 95th or 96. I don't have the number right in front of me. My enthusiasm, way too high probably as well. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the second is openness to experience. So the higher that tends to be, and 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 this is about kind of openness to new ideas, creativity, and that sort of thing. And again, that kind of makes sense to me is, is the more open you are, the more creative, the more likely you are to, to start a business. But again, that, that's a correlation. It's not a causation. If I'm remembering right, I think I fall at like 65th percentile, which you know, I'm married to an artist, and so she's like way up there. So I was actually reasonably <laughs> surprised even to be that high. Uh, the artistic thing, not me, for sure. But I do try to be creative from a business perspective. Where'd you guys fall on openness? So that's neurotism, right? Nope, nope. Openness to experience, not neuroticism. The neuro- the neuroticism, this says that's um, being sensitive to negative emotions like pain, sadness, irritable, anger, fear, anxiety. I'm at the seventh percentile for that, which makes a ton of sense. <laughs> that was Mr. neuroticism? Yeah. yeah, I think that one, I think I, I was way up there too, like the high, very, where, where were you, high or low? Oh. No, super low, seventh percentile. I think that's where I was somewhere down in there. There's so many okay. to scroll through here and they're all interesting. I've read them all like 10 times. <laughs> the volatility is the openness, right? Oh, that's conscientious. Oh, openness to experience. I'm at the 20th percentile for that one. I was kind of surprised at that. Ah, ah. Well, a little kind of, bit lower on that one. I was I was at the 30th for that and I was surprised at that too. I thought that was lower than it than what it than what it should be. Okay. But not as low well, as compassion for something something happened there and apparently <laughs> I have zero feelings. <laughs> Zach has no compassion. I am low on that as well. Um, we don't. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> the third out of the fifth most correlated, but it's a negative correlation, is agreeableness. 
So the less agreeable you are, the lower you are in that, the more likely you are to be an entrepreneur. You know, anyway, the more <laughs> independent minded you are, perhaps would be one way to look at it, the more likely you are to chart your own course and start your own thing. My agreeableness is labeled very low in the eighth percentile. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm at the 26th on that one. Well, you're a disagreeable couple of folks. <laughs> the difference is, though, that I'm correct. No, we're not. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> you just don't understand. I've been doing this for a while. And, and I just, and so I have the students turn in just their numbers to me. And, and, and so let me read for the number of semesters I've done it, just where the average is across the students that have taken it in my class, entrepreneurship and agriculture. The average on conscientiousness, you know, kind of being organized and, and so forth. 64th percentile. So pretty high. And again, you know, all these traits are normally distributed. So if you have a big enough sample and this sample size across the times that I've given it is only between two and 300. So it's not huge, but still it's pretty big, but it's at 64th percentile. But it's like, okay, I've got all university students. And so being orderly and organized, probably there's some selection bias. How many replications you have? 200 times you've given it, but yeah. Or how many yeah. students have taken it? How many total? No, it, that's the number of students. I haven't given it that many times. I think I've done it five semesters now. Oh, I so see. Actually okay. not so actually not nearly as long semesters. as I've been teaching. Yeah. And, and so then extroversion. Again, extroversion is the most correlated with somebody being an entrepreneur. That one is at 70th percentile. So way above average. But again, my first thought when I've seen this emerge, but it's been really consistent every single class that I have. But my thought is, okay, it's a selection bias. These are students who enrolled in an entrepreneurship course. So if extroversion is highly correlated with that, then of course, I'm going to tend to have more extroverted students in the, in the class. But then the next trait is most associated with entrepreneurship, openness to experience. The average is 29th percentile, really low. <laughs> and so sort of where you guys are at um again nothing wrong with it but it just is interesting to me and so as i've kind of reflected on that it just gets me to the point where i start asking questions about the culture and agriculture if you will and that's because i went back and forth with this testing service just asking you have you ever looked at regional differences because my first thought is well most of the young men and women that sit in my class are Iowan or Midwestern in the very least. And it's like, is there something about our sort of Northern European heritage <laughs> that has this not as open to things? Anyway, they hadn't looked at anything. So then I started thinking even a, from a more granular level, thinking about, well, is it some, most of the students in my class are agriculture majors? They're from farms. They're from families with agricultural businesses. They aspire to be in agriculture. I don't, you know, and I had this flashback to a conversation with a friend of mine who's from Garner, Iowa, who, who farms, but then he also advises, uh, has a financial advisory business. And so he'd called me when I first started at Iowa State because uh, one of his clients has a prosperous manufacturing plant. And so his call to me was just asking for a connection for this gentleman to meet up with other people who would own manufacturing facilities so you could have kind of a cohort. And so I gave him some names. And anyway, I remember Doug saying to me, when I was just asking why he was doing this for his friend, he just said, well, you know what they say about small towns? 
I said, no, Doug, I don't know what they say about small towns. And he said, well, nothing is punished in small towns like success. <laughs> and, you know, I grew up in Kennesaw, Nebraska, population 850 and graduated from a class of 19, um, which is way bigger than what my wife Patty did, Roseland, Nebraska. She was a class of 18, small school. So anyway, I <laughs> I got to get the small town ethos. You know, there's this great kind of we're all in this together egalitarian thing that's good but it's like don't stick out <laughs> you know I, I think you know my uncle some years ago bought a brand new pickup the year after he bought another new pickup and went to great pains to buy the same color they hadn't changed the model he just didn't want people to understand that he bought a brand new pickup two years in a row I was like okay <laughs> But then it, it sort of begs the question, you know, are we innovative in what we do? And as part of our role at the Agricultural Entrepreneurship Initiative, can we make, can we help make our industry a more friendly place for people that want to try new things and do new things, you know, and, and a podcast like you guys have and all the things you do <laughs> is part of it as well. Okay. More from Professor Kimley after a short break. We're back with Professor Kevin Kimley talking about personality tests and what they can tell us about farming communities. Kevin, I find it funny that you brought up the the pickup example because I actually bought myself a new pickup this morning and even though I'm like I'm in, in, internally excited about it, I'm terrified that my neighbors are going to find out I bought a new pickup. So the, the that like bringing up that example and talking about that is like it's correct. It really is. You know, if if you live in a big city, nobody knows you bought a new pickup. Nobody cares, but but it is it is different in small towns and that's just part of it. But you talk about the the personality traits here and how you've looked at maybe that that openness to experiences might be different when it comes to farmers. Have you done a study specifically with like say the Washington County Iowa farmers and how maybe they differ in some of the personality traits? I have not done that, but I have written a case study of, of Mitchell's business in Washington County because it does stick out uniquely. And it's one of the questions as I got to know Mitchell and started to look at just <laughs> some things going on there. You know, and you can look at statistics about Washington County, Iowa, one of 99 counties in Iowa. And I think it's changing a little bit now because we're doing more cover crops. But just as one example, Mitchell, for a long time, one half of all cover crops in the entire state of Iowa were planted in Washington County. <laughs> now that's a small denominator problem, but still um, the percentage of solar panels installed in the state of Iowa, the amount of conservation tillage practices going on, Washington County. So then I started, I haven't done a study yet of the personality test of the farmer, but I did ask Mitchell to introduce me to some folks beyond just his family. The horror family is great. A little bit crazy, but that's good. <laughs> but yeah, we were talking to people that were experimenting with, um, you know, new kinds of tillage and things. Mitchell going all the way back to the 70s and the 80s, right? Yeah. So what was really cool, and I think why it's great to have you on here, Kevin, is we're going to talk, you know, we kind of did a, a case study ourselves here through the podcast on Washington County. And we talked with some of the same farmers that I introduced you to, Rob Stout and Michael Vitito and and these guys that 
are super innovative. And we went out to really solve the question on like, why, why is that the case? And yeah. So at one point, Washington County had more cover cop in the one county than all the rest of Iowa combined. Like there's plenty of other counties taken off, of course. And, and I think we, um, in like 2016 or so is when other counties started catching up a little bit more. We, Washington County is still definitely added a lot more acres and, um, I mean, it's really, really expanding, but, um, but yeah, it's that, that willingness to, to try different things and stuff. And, you know, and Zach, I know has some, some thoughts and insight on it too, but like, yeah, it's, it's the combination I think of, I don't know if it's necessarily entrepreneurial spirit. Cause I think a lot of the farmers themselves wouldn't necessarily think of it as that, but as a, uh, a, that openness, I suppose, and the willingness to try and also maybe like that agreeableness too of, of saying, we're not going to keep doing it the same way and being stubborn and creative and bullheaded that, no, we're going to do it a different way and we're going to figure it out. And that was my main takeaway from Washington County on why it was that case is that, that bullheadedness that the farmers of Washington County said, we see that there's a different way of doing things and we're going to make it work here. And then there was community built around that. And, and now, you know, five, six, seven decades later, it's mainstream, but it took a long time to really build that out. And Zach and I met some of the, the original old boys that were doing this in the sixties. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. I I had a ton of fun going down there and, and meeting those guys. It would be interesting to see some of the results from, like a personality test like we did cuz it really is interesting to to look through that Kevin do you think that it's it's possible you know you talk about uh, the less openness to new experiences with with farmers um do you think some of that might come from the fact that we're we're always taking risks and um so we, we we're trying to stick with what we know works and and we're not comfortable taking more risk than what we have to I do. I mean, I think there's a bit of enculturation that happens because we deal with a lot of things in agriculture that we cannot control that punish us. You know, weather, if you're a commodity producer, just markets and you can do everything right as everybody in agriculture knows, and you can still not do well. And oftentimes that's exactly the case. And so I think it becomes an element of, well, you take the element of uncertainty that just comes from doing things in biology and in the world and in nature, and you cross that with trying new things that nobody else has done, well, then you're kind of crossing a line of, you know, sort of like stranger danger. Don't do that. <laughs> and, you know, again, each personality is wired differently, but still we are all wired to try to fit in in some way. <laughs> you know, some of us less agreeable than others, like you guys, but still, uh, you know, we... <laughs> We, we we want to fit in and we want to be accepted. And I and I think it's like, well, all right, somebody tries something and it works, everybody's interested. Somebody tries something and it doesn't work, ooh. <laughs> Stay away from that. <laughs> Stay away from that. Then we get to talk about crazy whoever is trying that. And I knew that wouldn't work. You know, I talked about Silicon Valley earlier and talking to there and it's you know, it's a unique thing probably in the history of the world, and, and there's some real negative things there as well. But, you know, what they've done there is built this whole culture around trying things and recognizing that they're not going to work and there's going to be failure, but then moving on quickly from that and then trying to learn from that failure and move on. And so 
you know, when you're dealing with software, you could fail fast and just try something again. One of the fundamental challenges we have with cropping agriculture as an example is you get sort of one shot a year um, at a crop at least, or maybe a couple with some of the things Mitchell, you, you and your friends are doing, but still you sort of get one try or, or what's the saying, you know, the, the, the average farmer gets 40, 40 some tries to get it right from a cropping perspective. And then, you know, you're ready to retire or, or whatever. So Kevin, as we're looking, you know, now at kind of that average farmer and looking at all these different geographies and stuff, what's your thoughts on the future of adoption of especially conservation practices like we talk about here all the time on the Fieldwork podcast? I think it'll be accelerated. Um, yeah, I mean, there's sort of that typical model, but what, you know, what what you and what others are, are showing is that, you know, it's like we can get the same yields and we can do things differently and we can lower, at least in some cases, we can lower our input costs. You know, we can quit playing the same game that we have, which is same revenue, increasing costs every year. That <laughs> is significant um, and significant enough to have more than sort of that classic um, innovation model. It still takes a while, but that gets proven out. I think it spreads. You know, I my first job from graduate school was with the then Pioneer Hybrid back in the 1990s. And so I remember an example of this sort of thing over innovation diffusion, Zach, where I was completely wrong, one of the many times. But there was this company in St. Louis called Monsanto that was just starting to do some things. They had this trait, they had this trait for glyphosate roundup resistance in soybeans that Pioneer had licensed. <laughs> and, and so our market research group, it wasn't the group that I was in, I was working in business development, but long story short, they had done a survey of farmers and build a forecast over what adoption would look like. So this is like 1992, 1993, something like that. So a few years before it was actually released commercially for the first time, it showed Roundup Ready Beans being at something like 90% within five or six years of them being released to the market. Big deal. Well, I look at it as the young, totally bright guy and overly confident in the room and said, that's not going to happen. And the market research people are like, why? And I said, nothing gets adopted like that in agriculture. Nothing. I mean, look at hybrid corn, made a whole bunch of sense back in the 30s, in the 40s. It took a long time. And I went through some other examples. Well, yeah. They were right. <laughs> it was such a clear value proposition, you know. And, and so this is way more complex than that, you know. I it's <laughs> there's more variables and there's more going on, but the power of uh, the change <laughs> is there, and so it can be it, it, it can be you know much beyond sort of the standard diffusion models that that we've tended to rely on in the past. Zach, what are your thoughts? Because I think it's going to be like kind of stair step. I can see the next wave coming, but I think it's going to like kind of stair step a little bit more. And like, there's going to be like different waves that, and it's going to be very regional, of course, too. Kevin's saying, yeah, it's going to happen like really fast. We're like, it's going to rapidly accelerate here really soon. Do you think that's the case? Because I'm like, I mean, I see some of it, but I don't know that it's going to be like, you know, 
90 per- it's not going to be 90 percent. obviously i don't think it's gonna be 50 percent or even you know right 20 percent here really soon well it's i mean obviously you know i think he's right when when you say nothing goes to 90 percent adoption in five years i mean he he's right that just doesn't i don't know that that happens in any industry um but the fact that you know he talked about earlier he alluded to how you know i get to grow one crop of corn and soybeans per year which frustrates me every single day because i have so many things i want to try if I could grow a crop in one week, I could have so many more, so much more tests out there and I could do things so much quicker, right? But we've got to be careful with the decisions we make. But I think um, I think it is going to continue to speed up. I don't know about this, the stair-step effect, but I, I, I do think it's going to continue to, um, the, the adoption of different practices will go faster and faster as we as we learn about the technology and, you know, as you see your neighbors succeed with something and I think that's the biggest thing it's going to take is seeing the guy down the road having success with it. And the guy down the road five years ago was doing exactly what you're still doing today. And he made it work. And, you know, now maybe there's two, three other neighbors that are making something work. And I think that is, is big. And I don't think it's necessarily because I don't think it's necessarily because farmers aren't open. I think it's because there's a lot of risk there and it takes a long time. And if I take that big risk and it doesn't work, I throw a lot of time and potentially profit or or money away on that. So I think that has a lot to do with it. But if you jump back to um, what we've talked about a couple of times here, which is the potential lack of openness within the agriculture community amongst producers, Kevin, do you think that that is a headwind for innovation when it comes to conservation practices or just farm practices in general? I think in some ways it's a headwind, but I think of it as something that we acknowledge and just understand, right? And because again, you know, on, on an individual level, there's not a wrong or a right place to be on these personality scales. It just is what it is. And the reason I give it to students is so they sort of understand themselves, right? Because wisdom at its core is about understanding yourself and then understanding how that sort of fits into the rest of the world with other people. And if you do that, you know, you're going to be an effective person. Well, same thing with respect to us as an industry. If for some reason, just the nature of it is that we collectively and our culture in agriculture tends to be a little bit open, less open to new ideas. It's like, okay, there's a good reason for that. But now that we understand that, what are some of the ways that we can overcome? You know, it's about finding ways to experiment in ways that make sense. And where we find ways to do things that work, it's about holding up your podcast microphone, your YouTube video, your Twitter account, you know, your acknowledgement at public events for awards, that somebody's trying something that's actually working and we're going to celebrate that. Kevin, are personality traits adjustable? Is there any hope for me ever <laughs> emerging out of the second percentile in compassion? <laughs> that's my burning well, Zach, final at least question it's nothing but upside it's nothing but upside zach you can't get any less compassionate so at least you got that going i guess you. that's a that's a good bragging point you you can move the dial a little bit you know is, is what i've learned um but can you fundamentally change you know could you go from kind of the lower part of compassion to the higher part probably not that's not the way you're wired zach sorry about that you know but what you can do is understand that you're there, you know? So for me as a personal example, yeah, I'm at like second percentage in agreeableness. 
And so politeness is part of that. And so it calls me in my little report impolite. And it's like, well, I don't think most of the time I am impolite, but I do and have learned, you know, since getting into huge trouble in grade school that I do have a kind of an independent minded streak that causes me some fundamental issues of going to the principal's office, both literally when I was a kid and more figuratively now. And so I think I've tried to adjust and understand when I'm probably crossing a line that I should not cross or, you know, take a deep breath sort of a thing. So on any one of these personality traits, I think it's the same thing. It's like, okay, I, I score lower than what I wish in openness to experience. Like, okay, are there people you can hang around that will help you with that? Um, when somebody invites you to do something where your first answer is never, maybe you say, okay, maybe I'll try that. <laughs> I'll do it once. So, yeah, I think each of us <laughs> has certain ways to mitigate, you know, if not completely change each one of those traits. So Zach has to like find friends that are nice people that are compassionate to others and hang around with that. Like he has... They also need to be well aware that I will not care about them. <laughs> yeah. So that's going to be a tough part of, uh, of finding super nice, compassionate people. But at the end of the day, it's nah. <laughs> right. And no matter what they say, I will not agree. No, of course not. Me neither, obviously. <laughs> well, Kevin, this has been really, really fun. And, uh, and I think really ties in you know, to the thought process here and pushing this further. As we continue to learn and, and uncover this, I'm thinking we might have to figure out how to get the uh, survey, get the the questionnaire out to some of the people that we interviewed here in Washington County. I think we could probably make that happen and, and see if we can get some more data for your data set. Well, let's make that a definite next step. So that was Kevin Kimley, an economic professor and the director of the Agricultural Entrepreneurial Initiative at Iowa State. What did you think about that, Mitchell? I think it's pretty interesting and um, I've been working with Kevin quite a bit um, through my time at Iowa State and now after here. So really interesting to see how different people think, whether that be on you know implementing new things, starting companies, or entering into the workforce. So really cool. I think that we could tie some connections when it comes to your personality. Yeah, I thought, it, it, as you said, definitely interesting. Um, the I think the most interesting part was like seeing what the test said about yourself you know, and, and reading that. And there are parts of the test that it was telling me about myself. And I'm like, well, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And then some of it surprised You're like, me. That's wrong. The test Yeah, lies. that's wrong. But when I told my wife about it, she said, no, it, it's right. <laughs> she, she, of course. Of course, our wives are probably like, uh, yeah. Are you argumentative? That's a word. No, I'm not. I don't argue. <laughs> I, am not. I am not. You are. <laughs> so after we talked with Kevin, the question that I had was what does this data look like in Washington County? Yeah, I've, I've been wondering the same thing. You know, guys like Jim Freer, Rob Stout, all those other folks that we talked to, is it possible that they're just way more open than other farmers? And I don't know if you guys know this about us, but when we have a question on field work, we're not just going to sit here. We're going to go get some answers because that's what we do. So we flew right over there in our field work helicopter and sat down and had them take the personality test. Actually, I guess we just sent them the link. The personality test is online. And uh, so, Zach, we got the results right here. And here's the thing. The farmers that we actually heard back from, they didn't score higher on openness or agreeableness. 
or any of those other traits that Kevin had talked about. Remember my buddy, Michael Vitito? You heard him talk about integrating livestock and carrying the conservation torch a couple episodes ago. He actually scored really low in the categories that Kevin was telling us about. The 13th percentile for openness and the 11th percentile for agreeableness. That's just hilarious to me. It is. So this guy is the next generation of farmers building that conservation culture in Washington County, but his personality test doesn't look any different than the ones that, uh, you know, Kevin's other students have taken. And I mean, that doesn't line up with what we were expecting at all. We were both thinking the Washington County probably has some super open farmers who really want to share. So what does that say about the future of sustainable ag if these guys are not open about it? Well, on one hand, it seems like Washington County isn't as special as we were hoping. Maybe. Are you special, Mitchell? I mean, kind of. We wanted to be special. <laughs> but at the same time, these results sort of give me more hope for all the other counties out there, you know, like the ones in West Central Minnesota. So does that mean all of our counties, we just get a participation ribbon for being special? I'm afraid so. Oh. Uh, we started out this episode thinking that maybe there's something different about the DNA of Washington County, but it turns out there isn't. We're just normal. Not that special. Participation ribbon for special. Yeah, same old, same old. But at the same time, Washington County is different, you know, because the conservation culture down there is actually real. So if it's not who these farmers are that makes a difference, then it must be what they do. And so maybe all of these things that we've been talking about with Jim and Rob and Michael and the Nature Conservancy and Purdue, all of these things that help to build a conservation culture, maybe these can work just as well in any other county. Ooh, Ooh any of them. That is it for Fieldwork today. If you guys want to catch up on all the great content and some of the not-so-great content from our series on Washington County. We've got it all collected on one page of our website, fieldworktalk.org slash conservation-culture. That is fieldworktalk.org slash conservation-culture. Our show is produced by Amy Baxter with lots of great help this season from Lori Stern, Amy Mayer, Mike Langseth, and Corey Suzuki. Kristen Schmidt runs our social media, Ellie Lyons does our marketing, and Lauren Humpert is our project coordinator. Special thanks to Veronica Rodriguez and Eric Romani for mixing our show. Don't forget that we love hearing your voicemails. Give us a call with your comments or questions at 651-228-4810. That's 651-228-4810. Thanks for listening. We will catch you guys next time.